There were days where I barely had sleep, but I had to work more than competition. I can't live like the opposition. Living everything I dreamed of, doing everything you think of. The way I work, I'm on the brink of doing numbers like a brain truck. Hello, America. Listen up. I'm your host, Michigan Lance. Let's get things started. All right, I'm honored to welcome today a uh, proud sponsor of my podcast here uh, from Fernando's Omaha. We have owner Mitch Tippis and general manager Neil Harmon. So thank you guys for uh, coming on today. How you doing? Doing well, thanks. Very good. Thanks good. for inviting us out. No problem. I'm, I'm very um, honored and excited uh, that you guys are my sponsor. I really appreciate that uh, for this. And, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, what's going to entail in the future. Uh, me first starting this podcast, being new to this, and you guys being pretty new to this deal too, right? First time. <laughs> first time for me too. Excited. Okay. Fun. All right. So let's talk about Fernando's, okay? Uh, Mitch, you uh, bought this place four years ago. Four. You want to start there? Four years ago, me and my wife, Carol, uh, Bought Fernando's from uh, the owner who's had it for 25 years at that point, or 24. Mm-hmm. It's been uh, Fernando's now for 28 years. There's two locations in Omaha, and we are very happy to be part of the whole restaurant world in Omaha. We do, we have great employees, great, great customers. We have great food, so we have a lot of everything. Uh, we made it through COVID, so we're really excited about that, too. Oh, that's good. That's good. So how long, Mitch, how long have you been in the restaurant business? <clears throat> Me, personally, four years. Oh, okay. All right, all right. So what did you do previously? Yeah, so I, I've been in the food service distribution business for over 20 years. Worked okay. For, worked for a couple of different companies uh, locally and out of town and did a little uh, time uh, working as a manufacturer out there as well, uh, selling food. But uh, so, I got thirty years probably in food business, but four years in restaurants. My wife has owned uh, a couple other restaurants through the years. So for the last twenty years, she's been running restaurants and okay doing things. So you got some background. That's so we have good. some background. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> what I love about it is uh, the, what you said was, hey, I mean, I've, I've been doing this for four years, so. What it sounds like to me is is you took that jump, and I'm all about taking that jump, uh, taking risks, trying things new, and that's what I did. I jumped with my podcast. So what made you jump and go say, you know what, I want to get out of the food service industry. Hey, I want to go own my own business, own restaurant, make it a family deal with my wife and change careers. So for like I said, 25 years, I was working in the food service uh, arena distribution, and I consulted restaurants, told them how to run their business or, you know, gave them suggestions how to do their business. And I thought, you know, it's time to make a change in my life. And I took some of my own advice and used it in, in Fernando's. Oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, we got your general manager, general manager Neil Harmon here. Um, you guys have known each other for how long? Um, I'm going to say about 40 years. Since, wow, 40 since high years. School. Yeah, that, okay. that makes us old. <laughs> that makes us real old. So I assume that, you know, it sounds like Neil is your right-hand man, Mitch, and he was one of the first guys that you called? Yeah. Uh, he's a, He was became the Salson Wagon master there for when we were – we just converted <laughs> over to a new uh, refrigerated van, and I 
Neil was uh, was in between jobs at the point in time, and we, uh, I said, hey, you looking for something to do for beer and peanut money? And he said, okay, I'll try it out. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so, then, and then it went from there. So we deliver uh, a, a grocery store chain: our Pico de Gallo, our uh, our Blanco, and our spinach artichoke, and, and our flour chips. So I started out just part time doing those deliveries okay. to, to these stores and it was it was fun and it was just you know um something that moved into later he said well how would you like to come on board and like be my general manager and and um i'm glad i did but i might have bit off more than i can actually <laughs> chew uh, the restaurant business is as most people know i mean if you're just a regular customer and you're not behind the scenes but it's you know it's pretty intense it's mm-hmm. it's pretty much 24/7 we're open 7 days a week right and uh so it's demanding but it's very gratifying and working for Mitch and Carol has been great and like he said our employees are great our food's good it's about quality service cleanliness all those things and to his point we made it through covid which unfortunately for a lot of our friends you know in the business Mm -hmm. a lot of them didn't make it through and that's across the country right as we all know so so we're we're kind of blessed most definitely um and i love that word blessed because because i feel we all are and and so neil now that was a big jump for you and you were just delivering (laughs) doing some part-time stuff he said hey i want you to run this while i'm not here as a general manager so how was that for you to say you know what change that mindset of you know what running the show have you ran a show before like have you been in uh you know what i mean as a a leader of a a program or anything that i have i have uh I was in the f- the food service part as a manufacturer rep, and then I was a, a sales manager for a, a good-sized company out of California, and we sold nationwide. So I did that for a number of years, and then the company sold out. And as, as we all know nowadays, people sell, and people sell, and you have duplicates. So I kind of eased my way out of that, and uh, it was it was good. And then I didn't know what I was going to do, to be quite honest, mm-hmm. so... At my age, nobody just wants to hire somebody that's, you know, not that I'm old, old, but they're looking for younger blood, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. So uh, when when Mitch came to me, I thought, well, I'm not doing anything really right now. (laughs) You can only only play so much golf and drink so much beer before you get in trouble, right? (laughs) So so it was a a jump, but it was a good jump, and I was going to have to find something to do, but why not do it with a good friend that you have a good relationship with? And so it's panned out really well for me. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, since I think that's a great segue, uh, talking about friends, I want to introduce mine to this uh, roundtable today in uh, in my first podcast. Uh, A dear friend of mine for 13 years now, we've coached together uh, in football. We've worked together um, outside of that as well, as far as coworkers and consulting uh, with with each other too. I want to bring in a dear friend, Dr. Jamar Dorsey Sr., Thank you very much, Lance Griffin and uh, Mitch and Neil from Fernando's. Uh, appreciate you guys, and thanks for the, the lunch today. And and I'm going to take a por- personal point of privilege, Coach. So you got the great guys on here from Fernando's. You got to tell the people where they're located at. Most Oh, most right, definitely, so yep. Uh-huh. There are two locations here in Omaha because it's so good, and I'm a guacamole guy, by the way, just so people know. So um, the first lo- – well, One's off of Pacific 7555 Pacific Street right here in Omaha, and then the other one's off of uh, 380 North 114th Street. So Fernando's right here in Omaha. Stop by, 
Uh, grab all the food's been good today. I can't wait to go back out and and, and finish my plate there. But <laughs> no, listening to these guys talk about friendships and and, and doing something that you love and enjoy. Uh, like Lance Griffin said, for the last thirteen years, we've built such a great friendship, closer than really uh, brothers, maybe too close at sometimes. <laughs> but uh, our kids, our families, uh, love each other. Um, get a chance to engage all the time and so I'm thankful uh, for you and appreciate you having me on uh, your first show here today and a string of many many podcasts to come yes indeed yeah um, like you said two locations 114th and Dodge and 75th and Pacific uh, please look those up and, and get out for t- to Fernando's you know what we had today was the number two um, that that was great uh, I'll, I'll let you guys explain what the number two is and, and what uh, where role it plays in your restaurant. Fernando's favorite, number two. It's an enchilada, taco, rice, and beans. Uh, it's one of our most popular items that we have for our combo plates. We have 12 combo plates, and it's it's number one or two, depending on which which uh, on which day of the week it is, I think. Oh, so. Okay, okay. <laughs> and you can, you can get those. Uh, you can get a beef enchilada. You can get a chicken enchilada. You can get a seafood enchilada. We have a veggie enchilada. And so you have your choice of enchilada with the rice and beans. So there's some some leeway there for those who prefer poultry or beef or seafood or yeah. veggies for that matter. Right on, right on. Uh, one of the things you, you uh, talked about, the tacos. I'm a fried taco guy. Those things were great. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing that out uh, for us. Uh, what do you think, Cam, my producer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says, oh, yeah, good stuff. So, no, it, it was great. Um, you know, Fernando's, I, I've been to the, the older Fernando's and, and the new Fernando's now with Mitch is the older. Um, and, hey, they, they're keeping that same tradition going, uh, good food, and, and, and added some new things, uh, like you said, with the fresh salsa. right? Or So the, the salsa, the, the joke about the salsa wagon master, we got a nice refrigerated van and uh, needed somebody to – to deliver all that stuff. So um, we call it the salsa wagon, but we, we haul other stuff in it too. So okay. it's, it's a little bit of a personal you know, personal joke, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And we have a great retail customer that takes good care of us and we take good care of them. Um, so, you know, that's, that's part of it. And we, we try to, you know, like everybody needs to, we, we work hard, but we try to have a little fun. So mm-hmm. we have our little jokes here and there. Okay. No, it's all good. It's all good. One of the, uh, also had your, I didn't have it today, but I had your uh, spinach artichoke, artichoke dip the last time. And uh, that was very good and very unique and different. So, and, and I love that. And so um, you guys sell your salsa and uh, your artichoke dip in stores too, right? Yep. And we also sell it. Uh, we sell our Blanca, which is the creamy cheese yep. dip. Uh, so those are those are very popular items. So that's what we're doing in retail right now. We're looking in the future to hopefully expand some of that and do some do some more things. Uh, maybe our enchiladas and things of that nature. Okay. But there's a few hoops to to get through in order to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's going very well. We're excited about it. And uh, it's a new avenue that uh, can create more revenue and be better for our customers, our employees, and, and everybody, actually. That's good. That's good. Hey, you know, talking about COVID, we're kind of still in that era and in that realm. Um, I'll talk with Fernando's first, and I'll come to you, Dr. Dorsey, because he uh, 
has made some changes and done some things. One thing that I realized uh, through COVID, um, I, you know, everybody had good and bad times. It was a good time for me, really a great time for me to reflect. And, and one of the things that came out was doing the Listen Up podcast with Michigan Lance. Um, I said, you know what? Hey, you know, there's something uh, I have a voice, and a lot of people like to hear that voice, and uh, and I like to express my views. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start this in 2021. And, and, and the COVID time in 2020 helped me reflect and realize that. Um, that's a great testament that you guys were able to work through and still be around. How did you got what did what adjustments did you guys have to make, and how did you make it through to still be here and and not fall off the wagon like a, a lot of other businesses did? Boy, it was crazy. Um, we had to go. We had to change basically our whole way we operate uh, during that point of time when we got shut down from dining. So we had to figure out how to do to go business and do it well. Okay. And we had to re- revamped many different things to make that work as as we went through it. Uh, there was a daily change of something trying to figure out how to do it better because we had a great response to customers coming out and picking up to go to help support okay. us. We, had, we have wonderful customers who came in and supported us two or three times a week with to-go orders during that time. And then when we finally got back opened up, that was in, what, June, I guess, finally we got to open up again, but we only could be at uh, 25%. So <clears throat> we started bringing back some extra servers and things okay. like that. And it took a while to get that kind of ramped up and get going. So right now we're about as close to full staff as we've ever been since oh, wow. pre-COVID. Okay. So uh, we got a few holes here and there, but pretty much we're we're – we're doing really well, I think, compared to a lot of other restaurants, which I talked to a lot of owners who are still struggling, trying to find mm-hmm. help and all that. So, oh, yeah. So <clears throat> we're blessed on that piece that we're doing as well as we are, and so we're really excited uh, that uh, we can take care of customers and serve our food. And yeah, some of my staff has been, they, they stuck it through. A lot of our staff's been there for 20 years, 25. Oh, wow. So quite a bit of them, uh, especially <laughs> the back the back kitchen and uh, a lot of our managers, you know, main core managers and some servers. So oh wow! So we're very lucky in that as well as to have such good staff. That's a great. Yeah. That's a great deal. That's a great deal. Now one of the things that I loved about the service business that came out of COVID was hey. Alcohol delivery, or I'm sorry, <laughs> alcohol carry out. Right, okay, right. uh, right. hey. and it's still there. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome. So Neil, how, how did you? How were you able to adjust as a general manager um, to that concept of now? Hey, we're serving to go alcohol. It was uh, it was interesting because it was across. It was all over the board what the rules really were, and of course we had to make sure that we were complying with everything. And so one day you'd hear something out of Lincoln and it was this, and the next day you would hear it was this, and then you're reading all the articles and making sure. But we we uh, crossed our T's and dotted our I's and got the correct information. And when people found out that they could get our margaritas to go, because we are famous for our margaritas. It's mm-hmm. uh, Our house margarita is, uh, is, uh, is a full pour. It's not mixed. It's basically... Oh. It's tequila, triple sec, and rose's lime. 
Um, and so it's simple, it's clean, and it's good. When people found out they could get them to go and take them home, um, it really it really took off. <laughs> so and that helped us. Uh, that helped us quite a bit. And now to this day, uh, we still have people that get their to goes, and they uh, they order those to go as well. Yep. And uh, so it's been. It was an adjustment. It was interesting. Uh, but I think it was fun for everybody, and those who enjoy it, great, and those who don't, that's okay too. Yep, yep, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. So, Dr. Dorsey, uh, I, I'm I'm going to brag on you a little bit because you went from Coach Dorsey for a long time, but uh, during the COVID time, you you were working on your doctorate, <laughs> and and um, once we got out of there, you became Dr. Dorsey. So, uh, tell me about that transition and what you what COVID was for you at that time. Well, COVID, uh, yeah, definitely during that time, it allowed me an opportunity to uh, probably focus in uh, a little bit more. And so for the last four or five years, I have been going on the journey of uh, completing my doctoral degree. And so uh, not that COVID opened up a bunch of time, but it really made everybody focus and reallocate how they effectively use their time. And so two things uh, that really popped out for me, number one, I was able to allocate some time to, to get some things done. But the second thing, probably the most important, is because things were done a year ago or so virtually that I didn't have the intimidation factor of defending my dissertation in front of a large group. Panel, <laughs> I could do it behind a, a screen. So it was all done via Zoom. So I was dressed, okay. you know, from like the, 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 the belly button up. I had my suit jacket on, my tie, and then I had it on like these flip-flops and uh, my socks at the nice. bottom. So I, I got it now so they can't uh, take that back. But, uh, but it, it, made it, more, it made it more comfortable um, to be able to do that. And so my, my dissertation topic uh, was really about uh, African-American men and why they decide to stay in the classroom teachers and I was just about done May of uh, 2020 and then at the end of May George Floyd uh, that that incident happened uh, in Minnesota and uh, it opened up my eyes as it opened up the, the world's eyes and so I had to go back uh, into the research and ask those folks that uh, participated in, in my study uh, how does real life George Floyd, social justice, and what implications does that have? And how does that change, or does that even change, uh, the reason why uh, you want to stay in the classroom as a classroom teacher? And so while the first two years of the research was really, really powerful in the interviews and those types of things and getting a chance to know people, uh, that single event gave everyone an opportunity to open up to speak freely, to not be afraid, to say why they do what they do, what's passionate about it, and what things need to be uh, changed, modified, or even thrown away so they can continue to do those things better. And so I was able to go back in and just simply ask the uh, participants of that study, how does this impact what you do every single day? And the thing that lifted itself out of it is they all felt that it was a necessity that they continue to be classroom teachers and, mm. and it was a necessity for them to be in that space, not just for black kids that look like them, but for everybody. They realize that this may be the only opportunity mm. as a black male teacher that these students ever get to be in my space, whether it's virtually or in person. 
and we saw a hybrid of that over the last year, but they saw the responsibility in being there and changing whatever the narrative was before. They saw themselves having an active hand in changing that narrative to something that's more realistic and, uh, and portrays everybody in the right space. And so that time frame for me uh, really made it laser focused and it, it, it added a level of uh, excitement, if you will, about not just completing, but now using something that's real life uh, into the dissertation and something I was passionate about to defend. You know, it's kind of unique. So, you know, uh, Coach Griff talked a little bit about it. I was also a history teacher. And for us to be sitting here 20 years, 9-11. Yes, indeed. And, and we're yep. sitting here. And that was, for me, that was one of the first events in my life that, like, every time I think back upon, I remember exactly where I was. I remember when the plane <laughs> flew over the football field and when it announced it was, you know, leaving Louisiana and it was going to Omaha. And, I mean, uh -huh. and they kept making all these announcements where uh, President Bush was going at that time. Well, for this generation of folks, because COVID and everybody was somewhat standing still, they'll remember where they were when they watched George Floyd and watched the police officer's knee on his neck. And they'll remember how they felt. For some people, that was the first time they listed a, uh, an emotional mm -hmm. response. Yep. Much like 9-11 did for me. I mean, everything stood still. You, you found a TV, and I remember watching uh, on NBC, or at least we were watching NBC, the Today Show, uh, yep. that morning. And the first building had already uh, been hit. And we saw the second building being hit, and it's like, oh, are, are they showing a replay yep. of the first building? And <laughs> Katie Kirk and Matt Lauer, like, they didn't break in because it was already on the cast. They're like, we just witnessed the second World Trade building being hit. And I remember looking around the room, and it, the, the, the emotional response by seeing something like that and not really knowing what the total implications would be, but you knew you were a part of something in life that you would never forget. You know, I hear my parents always talk about when they were little and, and John F. Kennedy being assassinated or Martin Luther King being assassinated and how that made them feel. Well, 9-11 is the first time I felt that. And yeah. George Floyd seeing that and hearing him cry out for help, those two times in my lifetime was the first time I felt something that I wasn't directly connected to. Yep. But, geez, it, it, it seemed like... For better or worse, right, it, it brought us all together and everybody felt something because of it. And so that was a great way uh, for me to be able to infuse real-life social justice uh, into that dissertation. And it, it, uh, it made it fun to, to finish. It made it eye-opening uh, to be a part of that. And now what I'm able to do uh, in this transition in my life is uh, – use that as a platform to consult with educational groups on how do we work uh, perspective building into their organizations. Uh, and it's not a quick fix. It's not a one-time deal, but you embed it in, you make it part like Fernando's, you make it a part of the experience, right? The customer experience for me is the client experience, build it into what you do and then always be able to check back on it, have checks and balances. And then that's how you grow. And so, uh, just working now in the Omaha area with educational nonprofits on building perspective, inviting people in 
to their space that they normally wouldn't invite into their space. Uh, have some critical conversations and yep. being okay with that. And sometimes eliciting that emotional response like we had at 9-11, like people had when President Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, and that's okay, too, because we've always grown as a nation after those events. And so my hope is now that we can just uh, build perspective and get people to, to grow in the space that they're in. That, hey, I agree. That, that was great. Um, and, and believe you me, people, America, and the world listening, we are going to get to sports. <laughs> Give us a second here. Uh, we're going to get there because I do want to reflect on this day. It's, it's 9-11, uh, 2021. Um, and so I, I want to get uh, – we, we got Dr. Dorsey's. Uh, I want to hear Mitch and Neil's what, what they thought, what they think of 9-11, what they went through, where they were at how, you know, it kind of shaped their mind frame. For me, uh, it's unique for me and, and Dr. Dorsey is, you know, he's at Grambling State University um, where President Bush stopped in Shreveport, I believe it was, Louisiana, uh, the Air Force One, and we went from Florida to Shreveport and was there for some time and then eventually came to uh, Offered Air Force Base here in Omaha where we're located now. Um, and I was actually in... Uh, Maryland. I was in college, uh, as you heard in my introduction, at Bowie State University in Bowie, Maryland, and uh, we're 15 minutes uh, from Washington D.C. and 45 minutes from Baltimore BWI International Airport and in D.C. Reagan International Airport, and uh, then we're also 10 minutes from Andrews Air Force Base. And so, all day, every day in college, all I hear is planes. That's that's you know, it's every 10 seconds, every 20 seconds, every minute. You hear noise. You you hear planes going by, and so um, on nine eleven. You know, I, I get up, you know, turn on TV, just like you know, probably a lot of people do. Uh, it's my junior year, and I'm just looking like, man, what's going on? And and like Dr. Dorsey said, you know, I'm sitting there watching, and in the second plane as well, and I call my girlfriend, eventually my wife now, and um, hey, you know, you see what's going on? No, what are you talking about? And, she goes to watch, and then uh, we're getting all these phone calls. But so since I'm so close, right, um, next thing we know, they, they shut down all the planes. And they did this for a couple of days in that area where nobody could fly, no fly zone. And it was still quiet. It was an eerie feeling because that's all you used to hear before. One of the things they did was uh, on that day, and I wanted may, it might have been the next day, 9-12-2, but I know on the 9-11 – uh, they shut down on the phone, the phone, uh, all the phone lines. So cell phone reception, landline, like nobody can call out and nobody could call in. And uh, that was one of the times where I was like, "Wow, uh, they they kind of can control a lot of things here that we probably didn't think they control." Like, <laughs> right. like you know what I mean? And so, um, and and my mother, we just played a game. Uh, I, I played when I was playing football at, at Bowie. Uh, my mother came in that weekend. She flew into uh, Baltimore. Washington International BWI in Baltimore, uh, and she just left Monday nine ten, um, and and to think like wow, what if you know something would have happened? Uh, you know she could have been a part like so that I mean all these things emotions you got family members and yeah it was um, like like because it was kind of surreal moment like man this I'm I'm witnessing something in history that yeah that 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 is big time like you said the first time for me i don't know i was young with like the space challenger i don't know what was that 85 i don't know the year but sometime but i was young and kind of 
I wasn't there for that or and uh but or Kennedy and all that type of stuff. So this was like, oh wow, this this affects everybody and anybody that I know. So uh we'll we'll start with you, Mitch. How how did that play out for you? Well, you said it surreal. It was totally surreal. I was at a customer, um um having a meeting with one of my guys uh, at a restaurant. And the owner of the restaurant, her name was Chris, came comes out from the back. It was Mitch. She says, I don't know what's going on, but something's going on. I went, okay. So I didn't know what she was talking about. I went in the back. Mm-hmm. She had a TV on her back in her back kitchen area. And, you know, the plane had already crashed into the first tower there. And you're kind of looking at it thinking, well, is this an accident? Or what is this thing going on here, you know? And we keep listening and just kept listening and then... Like you said, what wasn't too much longer, and that second plane comes in, you're watching it for real, and you're just like, holy buckets. I probably said something worse mm-hmm. than that. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But, yeah, I was – we just grabbed each other and hugged each other, mm-hmm. and we said, what is going on, you know? Right. And she actually just um, – probably about a half an hour later, she shut her restaurant down. Mm. My wife's restaurant was just down the street. It was a Dairy Queen down the street. She shut that button down, and we all went home mm. and just watched TV, and I went home from work and just kind of you know, hung out the rest of the day, just disbelief. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Wow, every, the, the detail that everybody remembers of that day. <sighs> yep. Yes, yeah. indeed. How about you, Neil? Um, so I was actually at home that morning, and I didn't have TV on or anything, but my mom called me. She lives in Minneapolis, and. She said, are you watching the news? Are you watching the news? And I said, no. She goes, you need to turn it on. And her words, um, she's 83 now, so it's funny. <laughs> but she said, we've been attacked. Oh. And, I, and, and, I, and I, that was very, very interesting to hear mm-hmm. her say that. Um, I said, what do you mean we've been attacked? And then I start watching everything. And, and then she said, well, um, she said, this is going to start a war. And... I was I, I, at the time. I was thinking, "What do you What do you mean? What do you What are you thinking?" Right? But I remember exactly where I was, who I talked to. Similar with everybody here on the panel today, um, it's something you'll never forget. Uh, and people that were born or were alive at that time, they're never going to forget. Younger generations, you know, they haven't come to their, you know, JFK yep. or. They're George Floyd mm-hmm. or et cetera. So uh, for all of us in this room, we all remember. Right. And it was it was obviously life-changing for uh, really the world. Yes. You know? Absolutely. So that's that's kind of my story. Well, speaking of 9-11, uh, <laughs> one of the first things that, that brought everybody back together was sports. And since we have Fernando's Omaha here uh, and they brought in tacos, hey, Let's taco about sports. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, it's the start of the 2021 football season here. And uh, we're, we're in the land of, of, of big red country, University of Nebraska, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, okay? Uh, we all got a little bit of history here with the Huskers, whether we're fans or we were recruited by them or, um, you know, wanted to play for them or however it may be or new, or new people and family members that did play for them, friends and family. So the, I, I want to get into the state of the program. We got uh, owner Fernando's Omaha, um, Ms. Tempest here, 
uh, general manager Neil Harmon here, and then Dr. Dorsey, former coach, former head high school coach, former uh, assistant high school coach, and current youth coach. So, Mitch, I want to start with you. Tell me a little bit about your your Hustler history, um, where, how far it takes you back, um, and, and, wh- and what just how do you feel about Nebraska football? Let's start there. Well, my whole history. Um, so I was an Iowa guy. You sure were. Yep. <laughs> yep. You were born and raised in yeah, Iowa. Born and uh-huh. raised in Iowa. Yep. I moved here when I was 16. Okay. So the, the whole culture of football in Nebraska is way different than it is in Iowa. Um, just I, I got a job at Baker's Supermarkets right when I got here. And I remember every Saturday I worked, and it was game day, and people would flock in there and get breakfast and do their thing and be wearing all their big red gear. And, and we had crazy employees who loved Nebraska football. I, was, I kept going, like, what, what, what's this about? Because <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that before, you know? Right, yep. You know, I lived in Iowa, and I kind of grew up on a farm out there and yep. all that stuff, so... We we watched football, but we didn't. It wasn't like it is life here. or death. Yeah. <laughs> life so or Nebraska's. Death. Uh, uh, I was indoctrinated. Uh huh. So uh, love Nebraska football. Um, I've gone to quite a few games and uh, been able to uh, really have a good time uh, watching what's going on with Nebraska football uh, today. You know, obviously the last you know three or four years been kind of tough right yep yep so i um i got a lot of faith in scott frost i think that he's he's the right guy i just hope that uh that he gets a chance to get it done now let's go back to so your early when you started to become fandom was that uh was that osborne era early osborne or yeah. was that devaney or no, that was osborne okay that's when osborne was in okay and, and what late 70s early 80s yeah so i moved here in 1980 so oh okay okay yeah. 19 oh okay yeah all right so starting his, his yeah. second decade so it was, okay. it was great you know yep. watching him uh progress and then win a couple of national championships and all that all right all right but we need to get back to that i hear that <laughs> i hear that uh what about you neil uh so I moved here with my family from Minneapolis in 1972. Okay. All right. And uh, so, you know, right away, um, I was at that age to to where I was starting to take more interest in, in, in football. I was uh, I played hockey throughout my, you know, my career and stuff. But I became a big Red fan pretty quick uh, because, like Mitch said, it was just it was prevalent. It was everywhere. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, so been to a lot of games, watched a lot of stuff. Uh, the the 80s were a little bit rough, you know, Oklahoma, Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Miami, yeah. And we always went to Florida, playing Miami, <laughs> Florida, yep. you know, and go to these big bowl games. And But the 90s uh, became even better. And, you know, it took uh, Devaney a while to get his program yep. up to speed, and it took Osborne a while to get his up to speed. And uh, But they did in some national championships. And then we moved into the around 2000 era. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I, I watch every game until the end because I can't stand it, even if we're getting blown out <laughs> uh-huh. or if we're blowing somebody out because right. if you're a fan, you're a fan. Right. Uh, but the last, honestly, the last 20 years have been a little bit of a struggle for a program that was dominant right. at one time. I'm happy to have Scott Frost here as well. I think, you know, he's a native son. 
and uh, he played great college ball, pro football, had a good career there. Yep. So I think if you give him some time and he can recruit the players that he can recruit, um, I'm hopeful and optimistic. So okay. I look forward to every game. Good. Okay. All right. I'm a little different. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love good football, and you can't help uh, to grow up in, in Omaha, Nebraska, and not appreciate uh, the passion that people have for Nebraska Cornhuskers. And so my, my greatest memories with Nebraska football is actually being at my grandfather's house and watching the game on the floor model TV, <laughs> but listening to it on KFAB. Yes. Okay. So All right. the, 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 that, those are my early memories of okay. Nebraska football there. My grandfather always listened to the game on the radio, whether there was a TV playing or not. He always listened to KFAB and Kent Pavelka. Yep, uh, yes, indeed. Broadcast yeah. the games, and so uh, it, it was a it's a part of culture and and uh, watching over the years and having some interactions with guys like you know my grandfather sold Johnny Rogers uh, fireworks when he, before he was Johnny the Jet Rogers. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Or uh, you know uh, being uh, related to. Clinton Childs and watching him run up and down the field at Omaha North and then bring Lawrence Phillips over, you know, to my grandfather's to eat at the 4th of July or a Labor Day, you know, those types of things. Or going down and hanging out and turning off the game at uh, uh, Deontay Grigsby's dorm room. Like those intimate moments uh, with Cornhuskers over the years have been greater just sitting around and listening to – Stories on how uh, Rich Glover, you know, 1970, right? Oh, yeah. Rich yes, Glover uh, would, would came home one time to visit. Uh, my aunt was at, at Nebraska, Lincoln at the time, and so and spent the night and just listening to all the Huskers that have been through, uh, you know, either related or close friends or, uh, you know, been connected to uh, my family members over the years have been great. And so just that stuff you don't forget. And so it's like it's it's bigger than life, but then it's really intimate uh, too. And then you know, being able to grow up and and, and watch games go down to Lincoln, form relationships with Ron Brown, and, and be able to go to Macy uh, Native American Reservation and work his ICANN camps in the late '90s and mm. early 2000s. And so uh, it's a part of, of who I am too. You know, currently when you see the current situation. Uh, on the field, uh, you, you want to get back to the glory days, but I think everybody said it here. You know, uh, you know, it took Dr. Tom 22 years, right? Yep. Not to build a program, but to win a national title. Right. And so if, if that's the measuring stick, then we, we got to have a little grace uh, on what Scott Frost can do. So build, building a good foundation, uh, setting people up for success, getting them to believe in themselves and in the program and, and, and what he's uh, preaching to them. We've we got to be a little patient, uh, but Nebraska football will always be uh, near and dear to me. So many interactions over the years, and uh, you hope that the the foundation land starts to turn over uh, to with the product that you see uh, every Saturday, from uh, you know from the coin toss to the last uh, to the last play. But uh, you got to love the Big Red, and and, it, and it's brought people together. Yep. Uh, Saturdays, listen to the games <laughs> on KFAB. Like it brings uh -huh. people together, and for you know, 
Nebraska football is like Sunday morning church. Oh yeah, like church that the church <laughs> hour. If you're a believer and if you go, brings people together. Well, I think Husker football brings more people <laughs> together collectively than churches have, and that's nothing against church, but anything that can bring yeah. people together um, when life is so crazy and chaotic and and all those other things is a good thing. And Husker football continue to bring people together. We just want to. Uh, see some progress and, and watch people develop and become better uh, on the field on Saturdays. Yep, yep. And, and you know, well, hence the name Michigan Lands, obviously. <laughs> I didn't grow up a Nebraska fan, but I grew up in Nebraska, grew up in Omaha. And uh, like you said, I mean, it's just, it's in you. So even though, um, you know, I, I grew up watching Michigan and, and Notre Dame and, and liking those two schools and then, you know, kind of zeroing in on Michigan, of course, I watched Nebraska because I lived here. I mean, so it's like, you know, everybody's talking about it. Well, I can't be left out. Then I have to be, you know, what's going on and talking about it too. And then uh, because, you know, like I said before in my introduction, my my uh, grandfather moved here from New Orleans and, and brought my mom and my, and my uncle up. Um, and so they, they grew up in the, you know, Grambling, New Orleans Saints fans. And so – that's what, you know, was on the TV. <laughs> and then uh, it didn't, didn't grow up big Nebraska fans. But then, um, but like I said, then, but then all of a sudden there's friends. Uh, there's friends that, that either go to Nebraska um, or, or, or like a, a good friend of mine, David Horn, and like you said, Deontay Grigsby, and then the younger Courtney Grigsby, and, um, and those guys. But, but growing up, uh, what connected me to Nebraska football was the Omaha guys that played for Nebraska. And so I'm an Omaha guy first. And so when I see the Damon Bennings, the Clinton Childs, the Tony Velans, hmm. that, that's, that's my first sense of, okay, the Calvin Jones, you know. Uh, he, he was the first for me where I, I was old enough to notice and remember like, oh, he's from Omaha. He's playing on TV for Nebraska. Like that was near and dear. That, that meant a lot to me to see – Calvin Jones, uh, our, uh, since we want to talk about nostalgia, Keith Jackson. You know <laughs> what I mean? Oh, Keith Jackson, ABC Sports. Here we go. Uh, Calvin Jones out of Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And so uh, him uh, saying, when every time he, uh, Damon Benning, uh, you know what I mean? Omaha, <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. You know, when he would say those names and then Omaha, that I felt like, you know, 10 feet tall. Like, mm-hmm. hey, it represent us, represent Omaha, um, and and I, that was that's what I loved and that's what I liked. And so, even though I wasn't a fan, I, I still watched and I rooted for Omaha guys. And when you get to the point of, it, it was a it was a great jab fest with my friends growing up, talking about oh man, you guys are sorry you always lose in the big games, Oklahoma or the Florida States and the Miami. <laughs> you know you beat up on these cupcakes and. <laughs> Uh, and then the tough teams you lose to, you know what I mean? Like, all that wasn't good fun. It worked because you guys were good. It was successful. And so now, you know, you don't really hear me beat up on them anymore uh, from a fan point of view. I'm talking more from a coaching point of view of, you know, man, something, because, listen, again, I have friends and, and people who are close friends are like family, like, I don't want to see them go through this. Like it, it's it's not fun. Like this is their alma mater. They played. Mm-hmm. It, it it hurts me watching them go through this because it's like, 
oh, yeah, this isn't fun anymore. Like, something has to get right. And what you want is, and one thing I don't like, I, listen, man, I grew up a Chicago Bears fan. I'm a Chicago sportsman. I'm a Bears fan, right? And what I think the Bears organization did or does, well, they're doing better now, but what they did for a long time was take advantage of their fans to the point of, we know our fans are going to be there. We know they're true, diehard, and we'll hang on to our 85 Super Bowl and we'll just keep going business. It doesn't matter if we get a good quarterback or not or whatever, make trades. We're Business still going to be good. Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones will win the Super Bowl every day because the money, he's the, they're the most gross. Um, they make the most in the sport. Mm-hmm. That's his Super Bowl. And so, but it's kind of taking advantage of the fans. I think Nebraska start, well, I think at one point they kind of got that way to the point of you bring in the Steve Peterson or and, and, and then some other guys and you bring Tom back. Like, it's, it's almost like they're, like Mike Riley, like these decisions, even Bo Pelini, and I know he won nine games a year, but you didn't bring in kind of seasoned veteran guys to turn around the program, to get to build the program. And it's like, okay, are you guys just kind of getting people just to put in field spots because you know no matter what that sellout streak is going to keep going? So Michigan Lance, Go ahead. You're, you're telling me that you believe Nebraska has is, – um, uh, is, is turn their back on their fans to the point to where or don't value the fans anymore? Or is that is that what I'm hearing? I, I, it's not va- not value the fans. I think that they're dismissive. I think they become dismissive of them a little bit because they know they're going to be there. I don't think there's a fire. To I don't think there's a fire of the organization there to win. See, and, and I would disagree. I, okay, I, I think the fan piece of it is the reason you've seen all these changes in the, in the last 15 years or so. Okay. Because, and especially coming out of a year where we didn't even know we were going to have college football, and now, you know, the, the stadium's back open to capacity mm-hmm. and you, and you uh, are celebrating the sellout streak. Like, the fans in this state, to me, have always had a loud voice. And I think those changes we've watched since, uh, you know, Frank Solich, who just recently retired, and mm-hmm. Bo Pelini, the administrative changes <laughs> and on-the-field changes are largely due because fans have – enough is enough. <laughs> and they <laughs> want to see something different on the field. When you start seeing administrative changes and coaching changes, uh, while dollars impact that – those 90-plus thousand people that show up and how the rest of the state right. is still shutting down to watch Cornhusker football plays a big part in that. So I don't, I don't think at all that the uh, fan base isn't being heard. I think maybe at some points they might be being heard a little too much and maybe some of those changes early on. Maybe we should have slowed down a little bit and seen how some things would have played out. But that's just one perspective. But I, I definitely don't think that the fans in this state don't have a vo- oh, they. They have a voice, and that's why Scott Frost is. Hey, you guys are fans. What do you think about the comment that, that I made? Or just in general, what do you guys think? I, I think everybody's making some really good points, and it's hard to, to, to get it all wrapped up. But uh, he, What do you see? 
what 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 is your what do you what is your view of what you've seen He's in the last twenty years? Well, <laughs> so the, I I did say the last twenty years, but you know yep. Solich was a winning coach, right? Um, I I liked Frank Solich. I think a lot of the fans did. I think his players did. But somebody decided it was time for a change, and then the multiple changes. To your point. Um, that became a little more concerning to me. Okay, so this now we got this guy for, you know, uh, the guy that came from the pros, Callahan. Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan. Um, then all of a sudden we're 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 a running team, and all of a sudden we're going vertical, <laughs> you know, like crazy. Yep. And granted, he brought in some good receivers, and the passing game improved. But I think you know things changed when he was there, and then who was after? Who was after? Then. Uh, Pelini, Pelini, yep. And then Pelini, um, I think he's a great defensive coach. I don't think, and this is just my opinion, but yep. I, don't, I don't know that he was the best head coach. Right. And uh, he had a short fuse, as most people know. <laughs> and that can happen in any sport um, mm-hmm. because you're passionate, right? Absolutely. So, and then Riley, I, I never really... I never really understood that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure he's a wonderful person. That's what I've heard. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not downing the guy. Okay? Hey, great guy. Give but, him a hug. Yeah, yeah, give him a hug. Hey, 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 one thing I've always said, because I'm, I'm a coach. I've been a coach for the last 17 years. If somebody says the first words about me being a coach, man, Coach Griffin, he's a great guy. If that's the first words that come out, of it, that means I'm not a good coach. I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody saying, "Hey, he's a great guy." I want them to say, "Hey, man, he's a good coach first, not my personality." Right. Right. <laughs> but go ahead. No, no, not at all. So, uh, no, I agree. I mean, you you have to you have to drive it into your players. You have to be competitive, and sometimes you know, in in any type of sport, but. It, you're not always just the nice guy. Yep. You're the yes, grinder. You're the grinder. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing I personally see that I think in Frost, I know he's a big time competitor. Okay. And I think he's I think he's driving his players hard. And I think that over the last few years a lot of people have left the program mm. because he's made some changes that okay, so these are gonna be the drills and if you don't like the drill, then I guess you're in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And another thing that concerns me a little bit about college football is now players can just leave a program yep and they can just go to another program and they don't have a there's no i don't want to say penalty but there right. used to you have to sit out of here right right yep. so now you have guys that have left our program they've already they're going on their second or third school <laughs> right yeah. within within a year <laughs> yeah. or two years and i yeah. i think that makes it hard for all coaches probably to build mm-hmm. a program or it makes it more challenging okay there you go mm-hmm. there you go i would agree with that I think fans uh, have been disillusioned and disappointed over the last years. And I think right now, you know, they have maybe some, there's some, you know, look out there that it might get brighter. Uh, but uh, like I said, there's a lot to be done out there. But yeah, I think fans have been, you know, we can tell when, uh, uh, especially uh, last year and um, even during games, Game times, you know, we used to fill up. Uh, we used to be pretty empty for lunch when the game started eleven thirty. There for a while, last year at the end of the year, people people just come in and watch it at our place because they they just they didn't do the big parties oh, and do that stuff. Wow. So, but when they win, when Nebraska wins, 
like on a Saturday night, we'll be packed because uh-huh. people are all happy and excited mm-hmm. yep, to be yep, out there. Yep. Fernando's right. coming out, out and drink their margaritas and having a good time and chowing down some food and getting their fix, you know, that type yeah. of thing. But, yeah, uh, so we can tell when uh, Nebraska is really <laughs> – <Yeah. laughs> if, they, if they have a bad season this year, I can guarantee you our, our, we're going to be busier just because people aren't going to watch the game or wow. they're going to hang out. So Wow. That's why I kind of go back to that disillusion thing because right. I think they're just kind of tired of the same old, same old. And, yep. and so they're waiting for that. You know, with all the changes, like I said, in the coaching staffs and yep. the admins and yep. all the other stuff, I think they're just waiting. Is this the right team we have now running the whole show? So all of you guys and what you do have tremendous experience, a lot of experience, a lot of good experience, not – I'm not into, hey, I've been doing this for 30 years. Well, there's people that have been doing things for 30 years bad. Okay. Right, right. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the, hey, you've been doing it for a long time, so you're a good person. But you guys have been doing your jobs a long time good, very effectively. So Nebraska has brought in two guys, Scott Frost, Trev Alberts, with not a lot of experience in what they do. And so then it that equates to then you haven't that means you have had a lot of long experience. What do you guys, you know, have to say to that point of being optimistic or somebody being pessimistic? Like, how do you feel about the program moving in that direction with pretty much two inexperienced guys at, at, at the jobs that they hold? Well, let, I'll start. I'll, I'll speak a little bit to that. So when I left college and started uh, coaching high school football, I was a head coach at, at 22 years old and, and heard a, a lot of that. Okay. And so experience and positions are definitely uh, needed. So I'm, I'm not dis- discounting that. But those Trev Alberts and Scott Frost experience as players – experience the culture of Nebraska uh, qualifies them to be in that spot. And this is what I mean. Uh, uh, A Mm -hmm. lot of people uh, get away from some of those true old school values (laughs) that, that matter. And so my hope with Trev Albert being a Nebraska guy, uh, being right down the road here at Omaha, uh, University of uh, Nebraska at Omaha, with Scott Frost being a Nebraska guy, is that foundation, those old-school values of Nebraska football, Nebraska <laughs> athletics, right? Yep. They'll bring, they're bringing those things back. Okay. And so those things are foundational. And so yep. you can be coaching for 30 years and have a great resume and be all over the place, but sometimes it, when you go home, there's a reason when you go home, and some of those old-school values need to be re-instilled mm. back at home. And so that, that's my hope for guys like that. And the experience factor, when you don't have it, you hire guys who do. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's yep. an easy workaround for That's that. True. I haven't been a head coach that long, but you know what? I'm going to get me an offensive coordinator that is. I'm going to go find me a defensive line coach that's been doing this thing for a while. I'm going to have, you know, an informal or formal mentor in the coaching profession yep. that's been doing it. And so you, that's how you assemble your team. And those guys have been on teams. They've been a part of assembling teams. They've been that for other people in different aspects of their life. And you're drawing all those experiences no matter how long you've been in your current situation. So that's my hope for both Scott Frost and, and Trev Alberts. And, and I, I think those two guys together can be 
very successful despite some of those other things. I would agree. Um, to your point, I mean, they both have a lot of experience uh, just being players. Yep. And then, like you said, Trev was, you know, he was at UNO. So he's got some experience there. So I, I think you're on the right track. I mean, and of course, I'll just throw in, you know, if you if you surround yourself with good people, um, you're probably going to get good results and good production. Mm-hmm. And then also, you have somebody to blame it on. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, spoken like a true gentleman. <laughs> Is that how this works? Here? <laughs> no, no. You know, I, I wanted to throw some levity in there too. Because, uh, it's a great conversation, but uh, at the end of the day, too, I mean, one thing we all have to remember too is, and this is crazy because we're all big fans, but hey, it's just football, you know? Because yeah. you'll, you'll you'll hear people say that too. Yeah. And if you say that to the wrong Nebraska, oh, player, well, that, oh yeah. What do you mean it's just football? It's <laughs> right, not just right. football. This is everything. Yep, yep, you know? yep. And I think, like I said, I that's why I watch the games from the start to the finish, no matter how painful yep. they can possibly be, mm-hmm. because you have to take the good with the bad, right? That's true. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my take on it. Yeah. yeah I guess the biggest thing I'm going to say the only constant is change, and I live that every day in the restaurants. Mm. Uh, we try to always. Trying to make it better. Uh, we look at everything, trying to make sure that we're doing the right things. And we're making the changes that, uh, that are the right things to do to uh, keep the business alive and keep customers happy and employees working and all that. So, yeah, um, it's it all it all works together, right? Yep. It all yep. works together. And I think Trev and... Uh, and Frost together, I think I think that's a good change uh, that I, I, I'm looking forward to see what happens next. Well, it, well, it wouldn't be right if I didn't throw in one of my Michigan lands-isms. <laughs> so, you know, when you talk about – and mentor, I'm glad you said mentorship. And I, I think people need to understand, okay, Scott Frost, his mentorship does not need to be – to a certain extent, it can be Dr. Tom Osborne, but I think it's minimal for what position that Scott Frost is in. Tom Osborne hasn't been in Scott Frost's shoes. He took over a program that was, I don't know, what what's a, what was a nice car at the time, you know, in the early mid-70s. Maybe he had like a, he had a Camaro, right? He took over a Camaro. A nice new, maybe I think 68 was a good year somewhere. Late 60 model Camaro. They had just come off national championship. So, that, that hey, man, that's already there for you. Um, so he didn't have to build a program. Okay, he had to sustain a program. Scott Frost is building a program. They th- That's two different things. And so hopefully Scott Frost has a mentor, someone to Dr. Dorsey's point, or, or, or experienced coaches around him to say, okay, how to build this from nothing to something? Because that's where they're at, the, you know. And and the, and and we talk about uh, Trev Alberts. Trev Alberts was a Division One athletic director, but he but he wasn't a Division One Power Five or, or even one AA or FCS or Division Two football athletic director. That matters, uh, uh, you know. Hockey and basketball that's different than football, especially when when. The, when Mitch and Neil, owner and general manager, are talking about f- how the importance of football, is just football, yes and no. Because for your business, when the Huskers are doing well, you're doing well. 
And when they're not, you're not doing so well at certain times because people are like depressed or this, that. So big red football impacts a lot of life. You know, not just, hey, wins and losses, but economically, you know what I mean? Socially, like uh, uh, people attending your school. Alabama, all of a sudden, Alabama is this great school everybody wants to go to. Their enrollment has risen <laughs> every year with Nick Saban. It's Alabama. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's not the state I'm rushing to. <laughs> but, they're, but they're a good football program. All kids want to go to – hey, they want to be part of a winner. And when Nebraska was winning – Hey, it was a lot of people attending that school from all over. You know what I mean? So it is a little bit more than just football. Well, I guess in some instances. I guess I should have said it's it's no. it's, it's only football. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have. Hey, you're not. Hey, no, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. That's just no. I mean, that's you know all I mean? passion. You're not wrong. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's about passion, like Mitch passion. talks about work, or you know, whatever it is that you do. Yep. So, yep. Um, well, I want to thank you guys. For being a, a part of my first uh, full podcast, Listen Up with Michigan Lance. Um, I want to end out on Dr. Dorsey. How do people get in touch with you and what you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I can be uh, be reached at uh, jamar.dorseysr1 at gmail.com. What I'm doing right now is perspective building. It's a one-on-one coaching session. So whether you are an um, athletics or in business whatever it looks like if you're trying to build your perspective uh around anything but around diversity equity and inclusion uh we can sit down and definitely have a conversation for that but just shoot me an email it's uh, really really simple and i'll make sure that uh, uh michigan lance here also has a copy to my uh, or has the link to my website as well but jamar.dorseysr1 at gmail.com um you can email me and we can begin a conversation there so Thank you, Michigan Lance, uh, and I look forward to being a part of many, many podcasts to come. Neil and Mitch, I want to thank you guys for the great food today. Uh, I think we had a great job tacoing about sports (laughs) (laughs) and some other things. Well, America, thanks again. See you next time. A Huda Media Production.